Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America located in Washington, D.C. provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a good football show. I am Patrick Darty, joined today by Patrick Corain, and we will be continuing our division preview series with the NFC North. We will be joined by MLive.com's Ben Raven to discuss the Lions. Corain and I will then break down the Vikings, Packers, and maybe the Bears. Uh, Byron Pringles on the Bears. I don't know if anyone else has heard this or realized this. People talking about this. Uh, but first, we're uh, very pleased to be joined by Mr. Ben Raven and. Ben, I'll just ask you right off the jump. Uh, I know we're like in between practice seasons right now. Mini camps over, training camps a few weeks away. Just wondering if you've been drinking any coffee with Dan Campbell lately, though. And if so, <laughs> if you have survived, what I believe is, does he drink three 44 ounce coffees a day? Is that is that correct? I feel like that's what I've heard. That's what he said, and he's not shy about adding the espresso shots and stuff like that. Because I, I have a rep as like being a crazy energy drink and coffee person on the beat, like. I'm always getting made fun of by Justin Rogers and Chris Burke about having, oh, what's this weird energy drink today? He he scares me with the caffeine. He says he drinks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're drinking like, um, so you're drinking amount of energy drinks like might be enough to kill a trucker. Whereas like Dan Campbell is in, taking so much caffeine, it would probably like, kill an elephant. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, is it actually even possible to drink 132 ounces of coffee a day? Like, I guess it's, I guess anything's possible. You build a tolerance, right? So eventually, you know, through years of, of hard work, you can get there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, He's also like 6'6 and built like a truck, too. So he... Uh, yeah, you know, he probably has a little different tolerance level than like beat writers or bloggers do. Um, so, yeah, he just needs 100 ounces just to get his heart pumping. Um, his doctors actually said it's dangerous if he drinks under 100 it's, ounces of coffee. He's got an IV drip. I mean, I don't know why I'm going to... This is going to be the first question I'm going to ask you, but I mean, what's your go-to sicko energy drink right now? Uh, I'm a Red Bull's uh, zero sugar type guy through and through. Uh, Monster Monster Rehab, the tea lemonade one's good. Those those two are pretty much uh, in the rotation weekly, pretty much right there. I'm on this new Celsius thing right now that are pretty good, though, too, when I work out. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love Red Bull. I, I love... Like I, I, this is not, I'm not even saying this is a joke. I love the like otherworldly metallic taste of Red Bull, which <laughs> really turns some people off. I like that. It tastes like it's like some sort of alien alloy <laughs> and uh, it's by far my favorite energy drink actually. Well, I'm on we the, the black cold brew train and slowly working my way up to uh, Dan Campbell's. <laughs> yeah. well, You're just trying to build too. up to 132 <laughs> ounces. Um, I'll get there. 
the, the day you finally complete the program, the 133rd ounce hits your tongue and you just drop dead. <laughs> so, anyways, I uh, guess we should actually talk football. And Ben knows a lot about football. And the first thing we wanted to ask is about Dan Campbell. And, you know, he started calling his own plays down the stretch last season. The offense started performing much better, uh, you know, kind of like post-Thanksgiving especially. Uh, got the deep game going a little bit. But, you know, Dan Campbell was kind of cagey then when he was asked this spring. It's, I think it was in March about who will be calling plays this year. And maybe he's updated this and we just missed it in the intervening three or four months. But, I mean, Ben, do we know will it be Campbell or will it be offensive coordinator Ben Johnson calling the plays this year? I mean, and does it matter even? Um, we don't know yet. Cause we asked weekly, like when we would get him in mini camp and the OTAs and stuff like that. And he's just kind of tongue in cheek saying, you'll know when I know and stuff like that. But I mean, my gut was always that Campbell would call the plays with kind of Johnson kind of breathing life into the passing attack. But then mini camps, OTAs, he getting in seven on sevens, get the offense going against the defense and it's Johnson calling plays. So it's, uh, I mean, every coach, every player has been hyping up Ben Johnson with every breath they've been able to this offseason. So I'm I'm kind of changing my gut feeling a little bit that it will be Ben Johnson. But I mean, and that's just based on him saying he sat down with Jared Goff and Jared Goff saying that he actually had input on this offense. And I mean, that's been the thing that I think has been the most important thing is that Jared Goff's comfort under these guys. Like, I think comfort is so important to Jared Goff and feeling like he has a voice like that really matters to him because he just seemed like a different mindset dude when we got to talk to him right before summer broke I mean shoot 11 touchdowns two interceptions 70 percent completion percentage when those guys were calling the play so I mean I, I don't know if it matters at the end of the day because I mean Campbell's still the head coach and he's got that over saying decision but I really do get the gut feeling that Johnson will get the first crack at it in the preseason and that should be good for the passing game the way you describe Jared Goff, too, I mean, it's not like maybe a guy who was used to having zero input and maybe is finally like really welcoming that. And maybe it was holding him back. I mean, I kind of doubt, I guess, that Sean he, was he, holding him back. But he did say he's like, I feel like I deserve this. I feel like I've deserved this input and to see it actually come into life is really important. I mean, he's like, I'm year seven guy now. It's like, that's he's like, I, I don't know. He was he, he just was a happier camper than he was last year when we got to meet him and talk to him. So. How would you even cool. describe what the, the Dan Campbell offense was down the stretch? Because to me, it seemed like like more designed deep shots, like a little run heavier. Maybe it's just because the games were closer, though, and they could run more. And, you know, we're trying to stay – like what was like the biggest change you thought after Dan Campbell took over for Anthony Lynn calling plays last year? There was they were faster out of the huddle. There was more tempo. They were they were in the shotgun more. It seemed like, and I mean, it was they were just finding unique ways to use their guys instead of just a traditional approach. I mean, that was a slow, 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 very painful, boring offense to watch. You in said the first it. half of the season, and uh, <laughs> I mean, it was like we felt like we were watching a different team down the stretch. I mean, the motion just felt like it blew up off the screen. The pre-snap. I mean, I'm on Ross St. Brown getting carries. I mean. I, I I tried not to overblow Josh Reynolds, but like he was a game changing addition for that offense down the stretch, just adding a tall vertical thread. I think it just, yeah, I, I just think it opened a lot of things up and letting Ben Johnson have a voice in that room and using those guys. I mean, I'm on Ra. He was, he was all over the place those last eight weeks. I mean, motion, getting the ball out of the backfield, short passes, middle passes. I mean, he, he's a do it all guy and they kind of based the offense around him when Hawkinson and Swift were banged up down there. You mentioned uh, Josh Reynolds' addition being 
surprisingly important. That was my takeaway as well. Like you just saw the, you know, having a reliable guy, someone that Goff had a, a decent connection with made a big difference compared to what they've been rolling out before that. Now we're looking at potentially really, really big upgrades at the wide receiver position, especially once Jameson Williams is back to full strength. What are your thoughts on this wide receiver room this year? Because Amon Ross St. Brown has gotten decent amount of hype based on what he did down the stretch. Very exciting upside. But, you know, as you mentioned, some of that came with Hawkinson, Swift out. Now Jameson Williams added. Now Shark added. How do you think targets uh, get distributed among the wide receivers here? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be really interesting. I mean, the wide receiver situation, I mean, it's hard not to give hats off to Brad Holmes because last year we were talking about Quintus Cephas as the potential number two or number three <laughs> guy, and now he's fighting for a roster spot in that 6-7 spot. But, I mean, the target share, it's going to be interesting because I do think even with Shark, even with Reynolds back, Raymond back, you know, I, I, I'm i starting to think it's going to be a little bit before Williams is on the field, so that's going to be, take a minute. I, I, I do think St. Brown is like – outside of Hawkinson is like the focal point of that offense. Like, I really think they want to run things through him. I mean, I think if Dan Campbell could create a wide receiver, maybe he'd add a couple inches to him, but I think it would be <laughs> Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, they want to block with him. They want to run with him. They want to just get him the ball with space. And I think that's going to be something different this year. Cause like you said, I mean, the, the additions at wide receiver, I mean, there should be more room to breathe. Yeah. Targets are going to be harder to come by, but like, with St. Brown, my thing has been I, I don't see him getting fewer than six targets in a game. And I think when Hawkinson is healthy, I mean, he feels like an eight, nine, ten target a game guy. I mean, when he's healthy and on the field, that is Jared Goff's best friend still is TJ Hawkinson. And we kind of forgot about that down the stretch and all these additions, too. But I still think Hawkinson is the top threat. And then 1B is St. Brown, even with the additions. So how do you feel with St. Brown? I don't know how familiar you are with like the, the rhythms of fantasy necessarily. Do you play fantasy, by the way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah. So he's going right now, St. Brown. It's the wide receiver 29, an underdog, the best ball drafts, which was like a really sharp drafting group. Uh, so he's going as like a mid-range wide receiver three. And just, do you think – is that about right? I mean, if you're, if you're only forecasting like roughly six targets per game, that might be right, but – I mean, how do you do you think Amon Ross St. Brown will be a top 30 receiver in fantasy and will he be potentially be a lot more than and I'm not we know that you don't have like some silver bullet answer on this, but just how to just like on a gut level, how does that feel to you for Amon Ross? Yeah, that that honestly feels about right because there should be some hesitancy just with the additions in that room and just how Dan Campbell and those guys still want to run the ball at the end of the day with all those additions, even though. But, I mean, that feels like a really safe spot because six targets a game is what I feel like is his floor. Like that, like, okay. like, yeah, like I feel like let's just pump the ADP up then. Yeah, no, I was gonna say, I mean, in that 20 to 30 range, that feels pretty safe for him. I feel like he's a guy that could get you more. And if he gets you what you expect, you're pretty happy. But I, I, he just feels like such a high floor type of guy just in this offense, what they want to do and just kind of, I mean, how he showed up this off season too. I mean, he's just taking the ball and run since he got the opportunity. It seems like, I mean, we noticed him a year ago. I mean, the dude's just different. He was just different at those practices and we didn't really expect <laughs> top rookie numbers, but yeah. Eight catches every week. <laughs> yeah, double-digit targets, eight catches, a couple hundred-yard games. I mean, he showed he could do a little bit of everything. And, I mean, he might have some weeks where he only gets five, six targets, like I said, but I just think that's a guy that's going to really benefit from others distracting defenders from him. So, yeah, it's It's a lot different, as Crane kind of alluded to, as you kind of alluded to, like competing for targets. Like, now he's going to be competing for targets with DJ Shark and Jamison Williams as opposed to – 
Khalif Raymond and Josh Reynolds, which, you know, like no offense to those guys, but yeah. it is like a talent upgrade. And by the way, quick aside, that's what made me notice the Dan Campbell offense last year was like the fact that they made Josh Reynolds productive, like a waiver wire claim. Like all of a sudden, you know, he's like catching deep balls every guy. I know I had some chemistry left over with Jared Goff from LA, but that was like, wow, maybe Dan Campbell actually kind of, you know, knows what he's doing with offense. And um, so you mentioned, so Jamison Williams, we didn't like to hear that. So you're kind of starting to feel like not ready for the beginning of the regular season. Yeah. It feels like the brakes are being pumped on that. You know, Jamison was the one that was always saying he thought he would be ready for training camp. And I mean, they were like, yeah, maybe. I mean, the last we heard from Campbell was uh, about a month ago. He just said he doesn't think he's going to be ready for the start of training camp. And I, I mean, I'm reading the tea leaves, like looking ahead. I mean, they have a week five or six by this year. So it's kind of like, maybe they just kind of waited out until then maybe is the vibe I'm getting. But I mean, if he's, if he's, uh, if he's, if he's ready to roll, they're going to let him go. But just the, the recent, the last kind of word we've been getting, the last vibes I was getting from out at the team facility was that they're going to really slow it down in the, uh, I mean, Ben Johnson was even saying, which I wasn't reading much into, that it's going to be hard to integrate him into the offense. So it's just like, no, nah, you're going to get him out there immediately yeah, like- when he's healthy. I just think it might be – that's just my opinion is after the bye week since they have an early one. So do you think the pup list, which is now only four games instead of six, do you think that might happen? Or hmm. do you think they'll try to stay on the optimistic side and lean against putting them on the reserve pup list to begin the year? I think they'll try to lean on the optimistic side. I, I think that – he hasn't done anything in front of us yet besides sit on the sideline and hold the ball. So it's really hard to say, but I do think that he'll be in that time frame of, eh, let's see if he can get out there and run some routes in training camp and see how he feels. And maybe, yeah, I, I just have a hard time even seeing him in a preseason game to be completely honest with you. But I do think that they'll try and try it on the optimistic side just to give themselves a chance because I mean, with him out there, it's a, uh, they've got so many weapons. Yeah. It just feels like such a different offense. It's wild. And you mentioned with, um, you know, the the kind of additional targets for for Hawkinson still being the one a here one of the things last year was that it was so easy to just assign Hawkinson targets in the preseason like who else could possibly be getting targets but he actually struggled at times to earn those targets because we saw the defenses were also aware that that was their only option (laughs) so it's kind of like just taking away a tight end which you know can sometimes be a bit easier than you know star wide receiver so you know my curiosity about how this offense breaks down is like does the addition of Jamison Williams Amon Ross St. Brown entering his second year shark does that actually help Hawkinson see targets more consistently compared to last year when defenses could really key on them absolutely and I mean you hit the nail on the head I mean he was the only thing going to this season last year and then I'm I, I really think that he's in that nine to eleven target range which he was showing up as a, but I mean he was it. I mean, he was getting bumped at the line of scrimmage by two guys. He was getting bumped by everyone before his like even primary coverage guy was taken over. It was just, I mean, it, the defenses were throwing everything they had at Hawkinson because there was just nothing out there. And I really do think, like you said, I mean, even St. Brown and Shark on the outside with Raymond Reynolds and potentially Jamison Williams. I mean, it's just, this is a guy that eats over the middle. It's a guy that's gotten a lot better at running routes, getting separation from defenders and coverage. I mean, this is if, if TJ Hawkinson is win one-on-one, he's going to do pretty good in that situation more times than not. So I really think that, uh, I mean, he could even, he could, he could even be better than expected this season because like even more so than St. Brown, those additions help him. That talent addition helps him. And I mean, 
another season with Jared Goff. I mean, we'll see. I mean, you saw it in those first two weeks last year. I think he had like 21 targets or 20 targets through the first two games, and then teams woke up and he had like – I think he averaged his first career 20 week one targets. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason, that's always been a thing where he gets like 29 <laughs> targets in week one. <laughs> I think that's the correct way to look at it from both of you. That's kind of how I viewed it with TJ Hawkinson is just that – I, th- I thought he did struggle with teams as being able to roll so much coverage his way. And I just don't think that's an option this year. And I, I guess it could depend on Jamison Williams's recovery timeline. And so that's another thing I want to ask you about. Like when Jamison Williams is back, say it's week three, week four, week five, whatever, from like the date that Jamison Williams is back. And again, I, we're aware that just because you're a beat writer, you're not like, you're not going to be able to like say, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. But like from the date that Jamison Williams is back, who do you think is going to produce? more fantasy points Jamison Williams or DJ Shark I think Shark this year the full season mm-hmm. with or without him I think he's you know I, I think this is like I think this is going to be a money-making year for that dude I mean when he showed up he was taller he was faster he just like when that dude's healthy I mean the last time he was healthy he was a thousand yard guy and I just think that was like one of the things missing from this offense is that a bona fide like yards after catch type guy. And that's something where Jared Goff is pretty good at usually is a short to intermediate stuff. And that's a guy that's really going to, he could eat. I mean, he could really eat if St. Brown and Hawkinson get cooking and all of a sudden Sharks got one-on-one on the other side with an inferior defender. I mean, big thing with him is just staying healthy. But I do think year one, even if JMO is healthy week one, week two, week three, I think that Shark's going to be the better fantasy producer in year one. Shark was a bit pigeonholed at times in Jacksonville as like a pure deep threat. Do you think he'll get used more in the intermediate, like some crossing stuff, that those types of, uh, you know, a little bit more creative in terms of his uh, route deployment? Yeah, yeah, I, I really do. I think he's going to, I mean, that's the last time we got to talk to him. Well, he was basically throwing Jacksonville under the bus without throwing them under the bus, just saying exactly what you said. I got used one way and that was it sometimes. And I mean, this, I mean, he's going to, He's not going to have a St. Brown role that had last year, but I mean, you're going to see him doing short intermediate stuff. And I mean, he's going to be the deep threat for sure too, but they, they feel pretty good about the versatility of the wide receiver corps too. And I mean, that's really going to benefit him and let him do some of the team things that he wants and thinks he can do. So for sure. I also think uh, maybe in getting into narrative street here, I feel like Dan Campbell might be a slightly better motivator than urban Meyer <laughs> of, NFL, of NFL players. And that he might enjoy being in this lion's locker room a little more. You're out on a limb there, Pat. Yeah. I'm going out yeah, on a right? limb there. Yeah. DJ strike. You hit it. Like that guy. I mean, he seemed like, so he was someone who like seemed kind of overdrafted as a second round pick when he came in the league. And then like he had that breakout season. I was like, wow, actually DJ shark was not overdrafted. He's very good. And now that it's been, yeah, it's been a while since we've seen him healthy and in a good situation. So I'm, I'm glad that you think he's like someone to like, kind of like keep an eye on this year because he, he's still very young and mm. the guys put those kind of big plays on film seems worth following. Crane, you want to ask about the backfield or uh, I'll, I'll start DeAndre Swift. Once yeah. again, limited to 13 games last year by injury, kind of playing in, to the narrative, the notion, you know, that he can't quite hold up on a full workload. Um, maybe, you know, and no one's calling him injury prone, but a guy like picks up nicks and bruises. Do you see, have you caught any indication the Lions might change his usage this year? Or are they going to try to keep him like maybe with a 15 touch range? Or is there a chance maybe he could become more of like a 20 touch guy on a weekly basis? 
I think ideally they want a 20 touch, 20 touch a weekend. I mean, Deuce Staley, the one of the things he was talking about this offseason was saying, we're trying to teach him the difference between being hurt and pain and being injured. And I think that's, I mean, you, <laughs> he showed those flashes last year. I, I never think he'll be that 25 to 30 carry a, a game type guy. But I mean, he did it that one week in Pittsburgh, had that giant, then came back and he had an even better week. But then he was hurt the next five weeks. So, I mean, he's really it's really been hard for him to shake that injury tag because it seems like every time he gets unleashed, he does come up. So I think, I don't think there's a limit. I think the lions would love to roll him out unlimited. You know, they love Jamal Williams, but I mean, you're crazy. If you look at Deandre Swift and Jamal Williams, yeah. don't see the difference there. I mean, and just with the other pieces, his offense is, I mean, he should, he should fit in very well with the things that he can bring that offense. But I think they'd love to just feed him the ball passing game, running game. I mean, you saw it at times last season. I mean, you even saw it a bit when Campbell and Johnson took over the offense. It's just, can he handle it? I mean, <laughs> once again, he looks great in camp, but I mean, that's that's three times in a row, three off seasons in a row. He's looked really good. It's just, you know, uh, I, 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 that's kind of what I've been saying is ideally they, I, the split share between Williams and Swift wouldn't be close. I mean, they're going to use Jamal Williams. They're going to use him. They love Keep the going. guy. This is all really what we want to hear. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. I mean, they're going to use Jamal Williams. He's a short yardage guy. He's going to get some goal line looks. But, I mean, I, I there's the way they talk. There could be some looks with Swift and Williams even on the field at the same time with what Swift can do out wide. And I think that's – you'd be crazy not to try that. But I, I, I just think that – Ideally, sitting here right now in mid-July, that I mean, Swift should be not the bell cow, but I mean, twenty touches a game with Williams as the clear, clear second fiddle instead of the starting running back, like twelve weeks of the year. That was the weirdest part about the Anthony Lynn offense was that Jamal Williams got the first series of like six straight games. Like it was hard not to notice. Swift's <laughs> not even in there for a snap until the second series of the game, and then they're already down seven to nothing or three to nothing. It's just uh, there may uh, have been some tilted uh, slack chats just, about that around <laughs> fantasy land. Um, well deserved. <laughs> I've heard some, you know, film breakdown uh, talking about how Swift is not particularly good between the tackles. Yeah. His rushing efficiency wasn't actually that great. Great as a receiver, uh, but some of his rushing numbers, advanced stats weren't particularly good. Um, and so, I'm just curious if, like, how you see the Lions' coaches in terms of like how they're going to utilize him. Like, do they want to bring him up to speed in those areas and and get him to the point where he's like a true all-around weapon that way? Or do you think they're going to maybe play to his strengths a little bit more and kind of use him kind of more like an Aaron Jones, Alvin Kamara, and have someone else like a like Williams? Or even if Williams were to, you know, suffer an injury, they bring someone else in for that kind of more banger role. Uh, just kind of curious how you think they view him. I, I think they see him as a potential all-around guy. I mean – uh, I, I, he definitely struggled between the tackles last season and they're not, they're not wiping that from their memory, but I think they are looking at the fact that their projected starting five offensive line never played a single snap together. I mean, some of the times it was Matt Nelson who was playing defensive tackle at Iowa two years ago at right tackle. So it's just like, you're going to have Decker Sewell on both sides with Ragnall, big V and Jonah Jackson back in the middle. I think they're going to give him a chance behind that line and see how it goes. I mean, I mean, Jamal Williams, like I said, he's going to be involved. He's going to get looks. Like, there's without question, he's going to get looks. I don't think it'll be 10 carries a game, but I think he will be involved in the offense. I just think that DeAndre Swift, they want him to be, and he should be, that all-around near three down, as near as you can get to a three-down back in this era kind of guy. 
So do you think that Jamal Williams, it sounds like you do think Jamal Williams is still like the unquestioned number two guy in the backfield where he wasn't like terribly efficient. I mean, he's never been like the most efficient guy. He's more of like, just like a really professional player, like always like makes his assignments, picks up the blitz, like is kind of like a coach's best friend type of running back. But it seemed like his efficiency dipped even more last year. I mean, do you think there's any opening for the guy like Jamar Jefferson maybe, or I mean, even like Craig Reynolds produced a little bit last year. But do you think Jamal Williams is still the unquestioned number two? Yeah, I do. And I think it's a pretty steep drop off between two and three. Um, honestly, you know, Jefferson, we'll, we'll see. You know, he's obviously shown flashes and they even that they were working Godwin Iguabuki into the mix last year, too. And uh, yeah, that's right. I try yeah, to remember who the third yeah. was. <laughs> and he was playing safety a year and a half ago. So, I mean, that's but right. I, honestly, uh, like you said, best coach's best friend. I mean, Jamal Williams is the leader one of the leaders on that offense. He's the leader in that running back room. He is uh, unquestioned number two, you know, behind DeAndre Swift. And we'll see how much that is. But like you said, I mean, he was like, he, he wasn't terrible. He wasn't great. He wasn't really good. He wasn't really bad. It was like mediocre plus at times. Yeah, He's yeah. like dependable. You know what you're going to get. But I mean, yeah, like you said, he wasn't very efficient. And the more carries he got, the less efficient he was. And it's just, he wasn't very consistent in those short yardage and goal line areas where they're probably going to try to use him again this year. But, uh, you know, I mean, like you said, he's available. He's a pro's pro. They know what they're going to get out, out of him each time and they love him on that roster. So he's going to get looks too. And, but, uh, yeah, pretty steep drop off from two to three and four. That's good to know. Cause yeah, I mean, DeAndre Swift, cause he, he, a guy who's missed, well, I guess, seven games in two years. It's important in fantasy who the backup is. Yeah. And it's good to know if the guy who's actually out there seeing them play that there's still a pretty big difference. Uh, between the second any any final thoughts on the lions and fantasy Ben? do we need to i mean do we need do we need to still keep an eye on people like josh reynolds khalif raymond or are they kind of back now and they're they're more natural they're gonna they're gonna be role players important players but not the kind of people like vying for like a amount of targets that's gonna make them viable in fantasy you know not not really it's all the guys we've really talked about because i mean I'm sure Reynolds and Raymond will get snaps, but it sounds like it's going to be a much, much more rotational type situation. I mean, shoot, Khalif Raymond, hats off to him last season, five foot eight, <laughs> running outside wide receiver no. at times. <laughs> Just uh, but no, it's uh, you know, this offense, it's it's about golf, it's about those receivers, the top four, and until Jameis Williams gets back, and it's about Hawkinson. I mean, you know, there's not really a sleeper because even if Swift goes down, you know what you're going to get out of Jamal Williams. He's not going to blow the brakes off anything, but uh. You know, Josh Reynolds is a guy, you know, if a wide receiver gets hurt before Williams is back, he's a guy that could probably step up into a emergency break glass in case of emergency situation. But, uh, you you know, with the Lions, you, you know who you should have pretty much. There's there's not too many sleepers. You know, even if a guy like Cephas makes the roster, what's he going to offer, you know? Yeah, yeah. I guess we before we let you go, we should ask, what do you think – how will they use Jamison Williams once he's healthy, kind of feeling comfortable in the offense, kind of like has trust back in his knee, like – what do you think like an ideal rookie year week for the Lions coaching staff for Jameson Williams is going to be? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think ideally he'd take over that Josh Reynolds role last year and just be that team's deep threat. You know, he's not going to do much other than that. You know, they probably want to, they, I, I get the vibe that they do want to take him along pretty slowly this first year, even if he is ready early, you know, that's the sharp signing really timeline works well with that. The one year deal, you draft a wide receiver, boom, year two get a rotational spot out of the way but um just getting him on the field and in that offense I do think he'll be heavily involved 
when he's healthy, when he's 100%. I don't know if he's he, – like I said, I, I see Shark and St. Brown and Hawkinson being more valuable than him, but, I mean, you saw what that guy did last season at Alabama. You've seen his speed. You've yeah, seen the way uh, – ridiculous. I've seen his gunner highlights. I mean, I, I think, <laughs> like, uh, they're going to, like, use him. They're going to – Very high uh, T. They're just – yeah. <laughs> it's just – I think they love the versatility of these guys. They, they're going to – they're going to Shark and Reynolds and Williams and St. Brown are going to be vertical threats. They're going to be short threats are going to be intermediate threats i mean they're gonna the big talking point is we're gonna let these guys do what they do well we're gonna figure out what these guys strengths are and that's what we're gonna like facilitate to and that's the biggest difference between the anthony lynn offense and the campbell johnson offense it was like when somebody got hot they explored why that was happening they explored Mm -hmm. how much more they could do with that and that's that's kind of hyping up jameson williams a little bit they're gonna figure out ways to use this guy i mean Season long leagues, there's not a lot to get excited about, but I mean keeper leagues. I mean this dude's shoot. <laughs> that approach is hyping up everyone a little bit. I think that's exciting <laughs> that they are actually playing to their player strengths. Right? Yeah, I know. Always, always big when a coaching staff <laughs> decides to do that. Hey man, I just lived through the Patricia years, and they were shoving <laughs> squares and around holes and just. Hey, that's, <laughs> that's Patriots offensive coordinator Matt Patricia. Yeah, uh, I forgot uh, about that. <laughs> <laughs> not sure that's been confirmed, but. Uh, it's looking far too close to reality. Even if it's not reality, it's gotten too close. To it's him or Joe him. Judge, and I don't yeah. know which is worse. Yeah, I know. Well, that's right. It's going to be his son, Steve <laughs> oh, Belichick, the next great NFL offensive coordinator. Um, well, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Excellent stuff on the Lions beat from Ben Raven, nimlive.com. And yeah, just as, I mean, as evidenced by the fact we just talked about the Lions for 30 minutes, it's yeah, becoming man. a more exciting team. Uh, you know, maybe it won't be like blockbuster and redraft fantasy this year, but like there's like now a handful of truly notable guys. And that just was not the case last year. It's DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson and just a, a very exciting team and hopefully an exciting season for you. Because the Lions, I don't know if you caught one. I mean, they're getting kind of hyped yeah. like fantasy circles. Like they're kind of like one of the teams people are like pondering the over on their over under is like one of the kind of like there's every year, you know, there's a few teams that kind of like break out a year earlier and expect them. They're getting some of that hype. So best, best of luck to you based hey, on yeah. the beat that you get an entertaining season. I've never seen a December game where they weren't in last place. So it would be <laughs> kind of nice <laughs> Just, <laughs> while on the beat, but no, thank you for having me and uh, hit me up anytime. No, yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. We'll do it again tonight. And so yeah, awesome stuff from Ben Raven. We will talk again. And now Corrine and I got to talk about the rest of this division and, uh, you know, the Chicago Bears are in this division, Pat. That's been rumored. People are saying um, that they're in this division. Minnesota Vikings. Allegedly. They, allegedly. Allegedly. The Green Bay Packers. Should we start with the Minnesota Vikings? Does that sound good to you? Sure. Um, or I feel we, like you wanted just... to start with the Bears there, and then you just, like, pulled out. Yeah. <laughs> you just couldn't do it. Or should we just end the show? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's just, let's just end that's the fine. show. Uh, I mean, so first off, what are you, Crane, expecting from Kevin O'Connell? Like, I think we're all kind of hoping for like this Rams light system uh, where, you know, it's not like, so I just did the Rams preview for the site. And as we know, like the Rams, it's not exactly like passing game utopia. I think they had like the 14th highest pass rate in the NFL last year, which is you know above average, but barely, but like they're the classic, just everything about their offense is optimized. Whereas Mike Zimmer's mm-hmm. offense was like the least optimized in the entire NFL. And this, what can we reasonably expect, you think, from Kevin O'Connell's offense in 2022? Yeah, the Rams are interesting because they got 
more run heavy down the stretch last year. We saw Matthew Stafford throwing interceptions, um, throwing some pick sixes, and it seemed like they were starting to lose faith a little bit and, you know, kind of protecting him with more running plays. They're not a Buccaneers Chiefs style offense. They're not even like a Bills style offense in terms of their commitment to the pass. Um, I think maybe they're more like the Packers or something. We should expect these types of offense to be pass first, but not necessarily pass heavy. Uh, but when you compare things to a Mike Zimmer offense, it's not just about the play calling, the pass run split. It's about like the type, uh, the types of personnel that we're going to see, and like the amounts of the amount of routes that we're going to see on a given play. Kind of the the overall like play style that we're going to get. The Vikings only ran 11 personnel last year on 44 percent of their snaps. They were in 21, which is two backs, one tight end. In 20 percent of their snaps, they had 12 personnel, two tight ends. On 13% of their snaps, they had 22 personnel, which is two backs, two tight ends, on 9% of their snaps. And in these kind of heavy packages, we weren't always seeing both tight ends, both running backs run routes. So on a given play, uh, there's not as many pass catchers. Like literally, there's not as many pass catchers on the field. So I think one thing we should see with the Rams, who ran uh, with the this Rams offensive style, I mean, the Rams last year ran 11 personnel on 85 percent of their snaps so uh, almost twice as much as the vikings did i think that should really help the vikings should help cousins he's like going to have an extra wide receiver on the field uh you know almost twice as much as he did under zimmer he's going to have better options to throw the ball and they're just going to have more options on most plays for for cousins to look to so the types of passing plays that we should see, I think will just be like better, higher quality passing plays uh, for the most part. So I think that's maybe like a slightly underrated shift that we're going to see in this offense. So what you're saying is Justin Jefferson just going to immediately set the NFL receiving record. Is that a, do you think that's a realistic expectation, Pat? Um, Cause if Cooper cup under Kevin O'Connell can have the second best wide receiver season of all time, I think it stands to reason Justin Jefferson will have the best wide receiver season of all time. I don't know why I'm going so long with this joke, but uh really want it to happen. Uh, is I'm... it a joke? Yeah, is I mean, that, that is the kind of thing. Is is it a joke? Because the other day I'm like, could Justin Jefferson have like a 2,200-yard season in this off? I was thinking this in my head and didn't share this thought with anybody. I think I actually thought 2,500 yards. So there's a reason I didn't say it out loud. Um... <laughs> I am taking Justin Jefferson almost every time over Jamar Chase um, because – Jamar Chase in these drafts is a sort of fantasy specific point, but Jamar Chase is almost always the the one of five right now, but he will occasionally follow the one of six. I've gotten him as late as the one of seven and you're not getting Jefferson there at all. So you can still, as long as you're just like, I'm taking Chase every time he's available. Once Jefferson's gone, you'll probably get pretty good overweight on, on Chase and you can, and then taking Jefferson consistently over Chase allows you to get a ton of Jefferson as well. And I Jefferson to me does have the type of setup where, he could just explode like overall wide receiver one, you know, comfortably over cup type of season, depending on, you know, maybe, maybe cups uh, target share declines by three, 4%, which would be almost expected based on how ridiculous he was last year. But yeah, I mean, he's got this setup where Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, I think have to be respected somewhat by defenses. You can't completely ignore them, but at the same time, they're not coming for Justin Jefferson's targets. They're not coming for, 
the offensive design. Like, you know, like if if uh, Kevin O'Connell's staying up late to design passing plays, I'm pretty sure most of them are going to have Justin Jefferson as as the focal point. Um, so he just, I think, could have target, a massive target share season in an offense that's just way more efficient through the air and then also has more passing volume. And Cousins is, you know, solid enough to facilitate that type of season. So I'm very bullish on Justin Jefferson. And even if he's just Justin Jefferson in an offense that passes more uh, and it improves a bit in terms of its overall efficiency, which it, I think should, he doesn't need any kind of like special Cooper Cup role. He's Justin Jefferson. <laughs> like he just needs to be in a, a slightly better offense and he could have just a monster season. So I mean, along those lines, if we're expecting just a better overall, which of course we're expecting a better overall passing environment with someone from Sean McVay's offense coming to run the show. Adam Thielen, he's the wide receiver 34 right now at underdog. Is that too, are we under, underestimating and aging Adam Thielen or does he seem like someone with the bottom is kind of falling out? And even if we're expecting a better passing game environment, should we not get too excited about Adam Thielen this year? I'm having trouble generating a ton of enthusiasm for Adam Thielen, uh, partly because if we're seeing more 11 personnel, which we will, we just will. So that means... Thielen's now competing with KJ Osborne more, you know, or, or, or Amir Smith-Marset maybe. Um, but a wide receiver is the point as opposed to like a second tight end. And they didn't have Irv Smith for much of last year. So, you know, the, the tight end competition for targets, not super strong. I, I think that probably hurts Thielen uh, more than Jefferson. Cause again, I think Jeff Jefferson, I mean, he's got this versatility. He was used in the slot in college. He was used outside at LSU um, in his sophomore season, he was obviously, he's shown he can do everything at the NFL level. So uh, he just has so many paths. It's like, who cares what personnel they're using? Just Jefferson is going to get his, but I think it could have an effect on Adam Thielen if he's having to compete with other wide receivers a bit more than he used to. That's a good point. Uh, so then who, who's the third pass catcher? Will it be, could it be KJ Osborne actually if we're having, you know, consistently more three receivers on the field, or could it be a returning Irv Smith? Irv Smith is still somehow only 23 years old. I missed the entire season. Is that a lie? He, it's, he's turning 24 in August, so it's like half a lie. Okay. okay. But he's still only 23 years old. Is there any reason to get excited about KJ Osborne, or should we get back excited about Irv Smith? It was only a meniscus injury. It wasn't like an ACL, like a totally destroyed knee last year. It is strange to miss an entire year with a meniscus. I mean, what's your read on that as – who the third Vikings pass catcher should be, uh, who, who that priority should be for fantasy managers. I have not been as bullish on um, Irv Smith as the market. I don't mind it, but it does feel like, you know, the bull case is basically he's going to be in a Tyler Higby role and play every snap, but he goes like three rounds ahead of Tyler Higby. <laughs> I'm like, what? You know, I guess like there's some additional upside that we're baking in because he's this young player that we were excited about at one point, but it, I don't know. It feels a little strange to me. Like I'd rather tack on um, KJ Osborne is I think usually a little bit later. I'm not drafting a ton of either guy, but, uh, but yeah, I think mixing in both makes sense and we should probably be pretty open-minded to it being either guy. Like I don't, I don't have a strong stand on, you know, if it's going to be Osborne or Smith, I think, if you're stacking the Vikings, you know, you should be adding, you know, one or two of those guys, because again, I do think that we should see uh, a bit more spread concepts, uh, a bit less 
of a really concentrated target tree. So then Dalvin Cook, Pat, been a top three or four running back basically his entire NFL career. Um, we know, like, was again, we talked about this Rams system. They actually like to run. They just like to run smarter, not harder. Uh, do we still consider Dalvin Cook a safe, like, top five running back? You know, he's getting older. The reps have piled up. He has missed time over the years with a variety of minor injuries. Um, but do you think, like, any any potential, like, decrease in, like, raw volume could just be offset by better overall usage? And do you still view him as, like, a – clear-cut top four or five, maybe even top three or four back in fantasy this year? Yeah, I, I like him going at the end of the first round in uh, these best ball drafts. At first, I was sort of like a little skeptical because I wasn't sure if we were going to see any kind of suspension risk with him. It seems like that's not really uh, all that. Really, like weirdly, no, that just like disappeared. Um, I'm not sure if that was like settled or what, but like, that situation has like disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, and that, that has been a very strange thing with Dalvin Cook's offseason. Unless I missed an update, it seems like there has been absolutely no updates on his off-the-field issues. The last time I researched it, it seemed unlikely that he was going to get suspended. But um, do your own research on that because I could be off I could be off there. But yeah, that's... it's just been weird. It's been hard to find any information on that. So it's like, yeah, like full disclosure. It's been hard to find – any information on that situation whatsoever. And it seems like maybe it has just like disappeared. And I know that sounds great, but like there's been no update from that from like anyone's lawyers or from like any DA's office or anything. It just seems like it's, there were supposed to be some court dates that those dates came and went and there was no updates whatsoever. So it just seems like that situation has somehow resolved itself. If we're getting the full season from Cook, then I do think he's a value at ADP because, you know, you're, you're smarter, not harder. Uh, common, I think is dead on. Like we're going to see a Rams offense that should be more efficient. Um, it should pass more. Cook has been a guy that has been utilized, not a ton in the passing game, but I think, you know, similar to like a Todd Gurley in the Rams offense, like he should be getting screens. He should be, you know, incorporated to an extent in the passing game. He won't be like a true three down guy, but you know, kind of similar to Jonathan Taylor type of role. Um, and you know, we that's, like those kind of roles. That's pretty nice. Yeah. We don't want, we don't want Derrick Henry, but we can live without, you know, a full kind of Christian McCaffrey level three down uh, workhorse role. As long as Dalvin cook is, is as efficient on the ground as he's been. And this is a smart coaching staff. Like I don't think they're going to completely change up the rushing style from uh, you know, the Zimmer offense this kind of has like similar, it's a similar tree of, of coaches. They're totally fine with the outside zone type of schemes. So uh, yeah, I think Dalvin Cook should be uh, quite efficient on the ground and will probably benefit from the offense shifting to the pass. Maybe we get some higher scoring games. Maybe we get the, the Vikings going out there with the goal of scoring 30 instead of the goal of, you know, holding the other team to 14 or whatever. So are you convinced that Alexander Madison is still the clear cut backup. I mean, I think he is. Um, nothing's really changed that, right? Um, is he still the, like the plug and play number two for the Vikings? This is a guy I have not been drafting a ton of, and, and I believe he was my highest owned running back in best ball last year. So I'm, I'm. This isn't like an anti Madison take, but it feels like he's he's more expensive, I believe, than he was in drafts last season, but. 
we now have a change in coaching staff and they did draft Ty Chandler. And I wouldn't be shocked if, if Cook were to go down, it's a committee. Like it's a rare situation where you have a running back go down and then the guy behind him gets everything. And that's what made Alexander Madison so good. He's not a particularly talented runner. He's not bad, but he's like, I think probably kind of a Josh Jacobsian type of running back. You know, he can could kind of do everything pretty well. He's fairly elusive, doesn't really hit big plays, decent in the passing game, not that like nothing special in the passing game, but certainly capable there. Um, and so I do think he's the type of guy that might be susceptible to being in a committee under a new coaching staff, under a new GM who just brought in a cheap running back, but but they did bring in another running back. So I, I think we should probably be like, you know, at least open to the possibility that he is not an every down player if Cook goes down because the people that were doing that are gone. And, you know, there is a little bit more competition now than there was. That's a good way. Yeah, that's pretty good. And Madison, he he would get those opportunities. He had a few good games, but a few disappointing games too. Um, I mean, which I guess it's a tough situation to all of a sudden just go from being a backup to the every down back. But he, he had a few duds. It's like the plug and play Dalvin Cook fill in too. So I guess maybe that's important to remember that he didn't like hit a home run every single time he may have started yeah. for Dalvin Cook. Um, not that yeah, you can I, really judge a guy on that, but. I'll also say the Rams seem to have, you know, they wanted to have a, a single back, you know, a single lead back. It seemed like, like once they, they seem like they kind of shifted towards Sony Michelle over Daryl Henderson. And, um, you know, they didn't, that didn't devolve into a committee. They eventually just sort of replaced the Daryl Henderson role with Sony Michelle. And then the, when they Cam Akers came back, they kind of like rushed him into a lead back role. So I do think Madison has a pretty good chance of, still being the clear cut backup. I just don't think it's quite as obvious as maybe the market does. Um, so I generally just wait for a discount on him on any drafts and, and try to get some exposure, but I'm not hammering like hammering him like I was last year. Do we have any parting thoughts on the Vikings? Or I think we just hammered the Vikings pretty well there, didn't we? I mean, I'm excited <laughs> to watch Justin Jefferson. Yeah, Watching yeah. Justin Jefferson this year is going to be fun. Well, it's fine. The Vikings are the second most interesting team in this division. Well, I guess the Packers are maybe more interesting from a chaos perspective, but we'll be right back after this to discuss the Packers and the fourth team in the NFC North. They are escaping me because they're not worth talking about. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions. Just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports app powered by PointsBet, to go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in Major League Baseball, on the PGA Tour, and on the NASCAR circuit. We also have a special contest on Tuesday and Thursdays called Battle of the Bets, where you can agree or disagree with our experts for a shot to collect some cash. See, Pat, the Packers are... Kind of for like, you know, weird, bad reasons. Like the most fascinating team is division right now because we just have no idea what's going on with the Packers offense, really. We don't know how the receiver core is going to shake out. I feel like we have even like weirdly little clarity with the backfield, just with how many passes A.J. Dillon was catching last year and how, you know, he profiles as a goal line type back, even though Aaron Jones was always a good, has always been a good goal line back. But we'll get to the backfield in a second. We'll start with the receivers. You've been drafting a ton this summer. Which of, if any, of the Packers wide receivers have you been prioritizing? I'm not really that excited about the Packers. It seems like, and and I this could be a really big blind spot for me, you know. So I'm I'm and Kyle was on this isn't the, the wide receivers, but last week on the podcast, Kyle was talking about how he's drafting a ton of Aaron Jones. Uh, who I hadn't been drafting quite as much of. So that got me a little bit more bullish on him. But in terms of the wide receivers, like Lazard seems like he's probably in line to be the top guy, but the market is is pretty bullish on him. He's wide receiver 40 on underdog right now. He's going ahead of, of Brandon Ayuk, going ahead of Kadarius Toney, Christian Kirk, my guy Traylon Burks. Uh, I love, I'm loving this Burks discount right now. Uh, there's it's tough to like I don't know that feels expensive to me for Alan Lazard a player that we're not like super psyched about his talent uh so Watson is a bit more appealing because he's cheaper but he also is in a pocket where like Garrett Wilson is so cheap right now um you know I'm I'm going back to the well on Rondell Moore I've got a ton of Denver (laughs) stacks so I'll I'll tack on Tim Patrick there you know, so there's other options within that range that I often find myself getting more excited about. There's also, if you're in need of running backs there, Ramon J. Stevenson tends to go in that range. So I haven't been drafting a ton of Christian Watson, but that's probably the guy that I should be mixing in more. Or the guy that I'll be um, kind of quicker to get my uh, exposure back up uh, closer to even with the field on. Yeah, I mean, so... That was good. so at ADP, you're most comfortable with Christian Watson because, yeah, wide receiver 40. Just I feel like you're drafting Alan Lazard is at has absolute peak. Whereas, like Christian Watson, he's the wide receiver 53 right now, an underdog. There's still like plenty of untapped upside, I feel like, in that ADP. And I think we've dabbled in Sammy Watkins, true theorism. He's the wide receiver 74 right now. I mean, there's definitely upside for him to outproduce that ADP, but we just know what it's like to draft Sammy Watkins. Um, so much pain, so much hurt all the time. And you get a good week one sometimes. Yeah, you know, occasionally. Would you rather have Sammy Watkins as the wide receiver 74 or Randall Cobb as the wide receiver 40? 
Randall Cobb is the wide receiver. Excuse 40. me, sorry, uh, Alan Lazard. Excuse me, is the wide receiver forty. I'm getting my very mediocre Packers depth receivers mixed up, or should be depth receivers. I say. I, I like Sammy Watkins better. Watkins kind of has had this discount because there was like the report that you know he's not a lock to make the team. Uh, no one wants to draft this year's Brashad Perriman, so you know you're you're definitely not as psyched to draft Sammy Watkins. But man, he's he actually is cheap. He's still like not cheap enough for me. Like I prefer he was like a, a true kind of just like tack on in the last rounds kind of guy. But I don't know. I'm drafting a lot of Will Fuller and Julio Jones, and I'm hoping that's my Packers exposure because those guys are going, you know, several rounds after Watkins. Randall Cobb, by the way, is the wide receiver 99. Um, so I have yeah. drafted him though. I actually think Randall Cobb might be, the best Packers wide receiver ADP. And like, sometimes they pull quotes from this. Don't pull this one. (laughs) (laughs) Don't put this on the internet. But I do think. Don't quote Crane on that. No, that's not a quotable quote. But the the Randall Cobb thing, I mean, like he is free. You know, like in the DraftKings 20 uh, round best ball drafts, like you can tack him on in the last round, like completely free. And would you really be shocked if Aaron Rodgers just threw a ton to Randall Cobb this year out of the slot and, you know, that he kind of didn't get on the same page with Christian Watson for much of the year and Alan Lazard continued to be like fine, you know, and Sammy Watkins mixes in and everyone kind of, it's just sort of spread out, hard to predict, but Randall Cobb like inevitably gets six targets. I could see it and he's free. (laughs) I know. Yeah. Maybe we should just take that out of the podcast, even in context. (laughs) I don't even know if you want those comments contextualized. (laughs) That that is like legit considering firing me. No no bits. Just you actually are fired now. I mean, is there anything with Amari Rogers, anything there? I mean, he's supposedly in the best shape of his life. He never got on Aaron Rodgers' nice list last year. They just didn't seem to be a fan do you see any reason to be taking Amari, Amari Rogers flyers? None. And I, I think partially because uh, I, I just think Cobb is going to play over Amari Rogers. The the exciting guy here, the, the fun way to play this late round dart throw selection is Romeo Dubs. All right. Romeo Dubs, uh, day three pick for the Packers. He's a deep threat. Uh, he showed pretty well in minicamp and I also wouldn't be shocked if, you know, Christian Watson, this super raw uh, player from the SCS school, has trouble getting on the same page with Rodgers early in his career. I mean, we thought Devontae Adams was a bust. We thought, like, the fantasy community was loudly calling Devontae Adams a bust because it's sometimes hard to get on the same page with Rodgers. The precision needed to to have that chemistry with him, I think it's a pretty high bar. Um, and so, you know, maybe Dubs is able to develop that with Rogers. Rogers certainly seems like he really has his guys. Like if you can kind of earn his trust, I think it matters more than almost any other quarterback in the league. So uh, going ultra cheap with some of these Packers options is appealing to me for that reason, just because there, there's so much uncertainty. I don't feel as confident about the talent projections as I do with some other uncertain uh, receiving cores. Like, you know, I think the chiefs guys, it's more, it's easier to get excited about the talent. Uh, of some of the some of the other guys that aren't going really really cheap, um, so yeah, I think Romeo Dubs. If if you're thinking about Amari Rogers, I would just take Romeo Dubs instead. That seems like a sensible take to me. Um, and uh, so your Romeo is the wide receiver 100 on Underdog. Uh, Amari Rogers didn't appear to have an ADP unless I didn't use Control F correctly. 
Um, it appears Mario Rogers does not have an ADP, and it sounds like you agree with that. Um, yeah, so. I mean, Rogers last year basically got a look at you know what they had done in the draft and was like, cool, give me Randall Cobb and uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry about your wasted third round. Yeah, pick. that's a tough, tough scene. The backfield, Aaron Jones is the RB nine right now, an underdog. He's uh, AJ Dillon's like right on the RB two, three borderline, RB 24, 25. I mean, what are you, how do you forecast this backfield? Cause it, like I kind of hinted at earlier in the show, like things got weird down the stretch last year. Like AJ Dillon like caught more passes than he did in college and like high school combined. Um, just no one really saw that coming. We thought, you know, a really safe thing it seems like to do for Aaron Jones after Devonte Adams leaves would be to forecast an increase in targets. But we kind of expect that every year with Aaron Jones. Like, how is this night guy not catching you know like fifty to sixty passes every year? And I just do you have a, a feel for how like this touch delineation might work out between Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon? Do you think I might get more like sensible this year, or like? You know, Aaron Jones is like clearly the primary pass catcher, maybe still the primary goal line back. But what what is your feel on the Packers backfield? The Aaron Jones splits are tough because, you know, basically anytime they haven't had uh, Devontae Adams, they've, they've really leaned into Aaron Jones is like their primary pass catcher. And Kyle was pointing out like, you know, they maybe could just do that for the whole year because uh, there's a chance that no one really steps up, uh, which is pretty interesting. But that's. It's tough for me to like, that's a really, really interesting bull case, but I guess I'm also skeptical that that bull case plays out because Aaron Jones has never really been this high volume receiver. Um, you know, he's never had 75 targets in a career in, in a, in a season. So, you know, we could get a, a completely different uh, usage profile from Jones than we have over, you know, a typical season because they use him like they they tended to use him with uh, Devontae Adams out. But I also think that, you know, you did see A.J. Dillon's routes increase over the season. Um, and I don't think like it's one of those things where when Aaron Jones is on the field and he's running a route, he's so much more likely to get targeted on that route than A.J. Dillon. But you could also see A.J. Dillon forcing like a true split and there's just less opportunities for Aaron Jones to be out there running those routes and get the targets, which would take away some of that really, really exciting upside for Aaron Jones to just get, you know, the crazy high target volume that would turn him into an absolute league winner. So I, I kind of view this as a split. I also think that the Packers will probably be pretty good. Um, and we could see them running a, a little bit more than we're used to. And maybe they're just kind of a balanced team. They've got this A.J. Dillon hammer. They're not super worried about like overusing him because they're going to be spelling him frequently with Aaron Jones. And they're kind of playing from ahead a lot. They've always been a very, very slow team. The Packers are slow every single season consistently. I don't think anything's changing there. I think if anything, we could see them maybe get a little slower since they don't feel as good about their, their passing game weapons. So I think both backs are probably priced correctly. Uh, I, I haven't had a ton of either guy right now, although, like I said, I'll probably be drafting Jones a little bit more, but um, also I think completely fading them would be, uh, would be a bit, bit scary. Yeah. It's just, yeah. The fear that you can, is that they could just become like interchangeable almost. Um, I mean, it would be crazy for AJ Dillon to like approach Aaron Jones's level of targets, but I already thought it was crazy how many targets he got last year. So I just feel like we can't quite assume 
how that's going to shake out. But yeah, I think I would still prioritize Jones and the RB one, two borderline over AJ Dillon on the RB two, three borderline. Cause it just makes, makes too much sense for the Packers. Like they have to increase Aaron Jones's targets. Right. And I just think that's kind of like a pretty good Trump card between the two, but that I'm also scared. And I just don't know how they're actually going to do it. Yeah. And like Dylan ran uh, over at least 10 routes in every game from week nine on until uh, their playoff loss. He only ran eight routes there. And that was one of those games where we saw Jones spike up. He ran 26 routes in that game. He had 10 targets in that game, caught nine of them for 129 yards. So I, to me, it's like, it's strange because it seems like when they want to, they just turn Aaron Jones into this absolute like game changing weapon, but then they don't always deploy him that way. So it's a very tough projection because like, if they just decided like, okay, yeah, he's, he's Christian McCaffrey. Now we're just going to use him like Christian McCaffrey, uh, you know, or, or Alvin Kamara and kind of, you know, the, the peak Alvin Kamara role. I don't think like anything would stop that from just rolling. Like, you know, like Aaron Jones is a great talent. He's a little older than we prefer. He turns 28 in December, but you know, certainly looked like he had plenty left last year. So if they were to just decide to do that, he could crush. In some ways, it reminds me a little bit of Austin Eckler last year, where we were like hemmed and hawed all offseason about like if he was going to get a goal line role. But there was no doubt what would happen if he did get a goal line role. If he got a goal line role, it would he was going to crush. And he did get a goal line role and he crushed. So, you know, I think Jones is ultimately the guy that I'm probably going to make sure I'm overweight on, even though. Uh, I haven't been to start. I've been like probably a little under even with the field to start. Going to fix that because he's the he's the guy where it's like someone else needs to make the right decision. And then if they do, uh, he can really crush ADP. Makes sense. Good talk there on Aaron Jones. Uh, not sure if really anything makes sense with the Bears or if there's a good talk to be had on the Bears. But we will start with Justin Fields, who we know has that dual threat upside and was not allowed to tap into it very much by the former coaching staff. Maddeningly few designed runs. Like the rushing production he did have seemed to be him just scrambling. Um, now the new coaching staff, the new front office, already rather infamously, they didn't try to build around him. The soft season seems like they're hunting for the number one overall pick. But despite like that kind of dismal environment, kind of like dismal setup, you know, not a vote of confidence. Do we still have, is there any QB one hope for Justin Fields? We know can be a very, very dynamic runner and we know that's where the money is in fantasy football. Yeah. I think like where he's going, you have to have some exposure because uh, he's, he scrambled at such a high rate last year. Like he's willing to, to run and he, I, they look like a pretty talented runner. He's really fast. So if, if he's willing to do that and he's probably going to have to do that a fair amount, given his weapons and protection, then, you know, he can pick up a lot of value with his legs. But at the same time, like, I wish I could really be very bullish on Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is just getting – this isn't fair. Like, I'm actually, no. like, outraged. No. It's I'm bad. outraged about what the Bears are doing here. Because <laughs> I actually think, like, maybe one of the – like, the wide receiver situation is so bad that it's actually, like – drawing cover for the bears in some ways because their offensive line might actually be an even bigger, <laughs> like the, the, that might be a bigger screw up for, for the bears than what they're doing 
with the wide receivers. Uh, they have this second round pick, Tevin Jenkins, who it seems like is not a starter. And he was, he, he's really struggled last year. And basically, you know, you're looking at these projections for their offensive line this year. He's penciled in he is. as a starter at, at left tackle. Reports of minicamp was that he was playing as the second string right tackle. So, like, I think they're looking at, like, a fourth rounder uh, protecting protecting Fields blindside here. Like, the, it, this was a really bad offensive line last year, and it might be worse this year. So, I, I mean, when you have a quarterback who struggled as a passer, like, badly as a rookie, and then his wide receivers get worse and his offensive line gets worse, <laughs> it's not good. I mean, this could get real. I think the Bears could be horrible, like horrible, like just painful to watch, you know, and I hope not. Like, I'd love to see Justin Fields overcome this. Byron Pringle, um, age 28 breakout, maybe. Yeah, we we have to cover these games. Like, I don't root for bad football anywhere in the league. You know, I want only good football out there. But, I mean, I think it could be, like, really, really bad. And and even, you know, like, Vilas Jones uh, is a very strange uh third round pick where you know he's he's looks like a very strong special teams player was they've been hyping him too they haven't even like been trying to like hide him they've been like hyping him they gotta hype somebody you know but he's not even i don't know is he gonna be like a a refined enough player to really provide deep shots for fields it seems like if i if you're building an offense around field you'd be accentuating uh the deep ball and you know they do have darnell mooney who can win downfield but I don't think Mooney is a complete enough player to be able to handle a ton of defensive attention um, and still be delivering a ton of big plays downfield. And they just don't really have anything else. And like Byron Pringle, you know, I think I personally think we're likely to see him get exposed as, you know, yeah, you were uh, okay <laughs> when Patrick Mahomes was throwing the ball, but like, this is a, I mean, this feels like Lionsy. You know, and there's I'm not sure there's an Amon Ross. I mean, Lion Z last year, obviously, but I don't know yeah, that yeah. there's an Amon Ross St. Brown here to emerge. I don't think we're going to get a Vilas Jones turning into Amon Ross St. Brown down the stretch. Um, Darnell Mooney would kind of be maybe a TJ Hawkinson in this metaphor where it's like, I don't think he's going to be able to handle the defensive attention that he's about to get. Cole Komet is maybe the, the kind of interesting way to play this because I think the defenses will probably be more concerned with Mooney and you could see like a lot of dump offs to commit is like he's going to run all the routes and he's like capable enough that he should be, uh, you know, a safety valve where maybe Fields doesn't feel comfortable looking at his his wide receiver two, wide receiver three. Well, yeah. And kind of like picking up on mentioning TJ Hawkinson, maybe Cole Komet could be like TJ Hawkinson last year, whereas unlike TJ Hawkinson, at least Komet does have a Darnell Mooney to draw some defensive attention mm-hmm. So Cole Komet is the tight end 14 right now, which is pretty high uh, for a guy you know, who couldn't, who lost snaps to Jimmy Graham, et cetera. But do you see tight end one upside? Would you be comfortable with Cole Komet as like a low end tight end one? If you, if you say you punted tight end in your redraft league, or is Cole Komet already kind of at the outer limit of what you think his ADP should be? He feels about fair. Cause it's like a, it's a volume based play. Um, you're not that excited about Cole Komet's talent. I don't think like he's, I mean, he's had an okay start to his career. Second round pick got on the field right away as a rookie earned a, a full-time role to, to close out the season. 
Um, and now this year, I think we'll be in like an every down role. So, you know, kind of in like a Gabriel Davis way where it's like, you know, the expectations for this type of player in Davis's case, a, a third, a day three wide receiver, Komet's case, a tight end, which we know can sometimes take two, three years to really even get on the field all the time. Now would be the time where it's like, all right, if he's really talented, this is the year we'll find out. And maybe it's not a big deal that he wasn't earning a ton of targets as, as a sophomore or whatever, but at the same time, he's never flashed that ability. He's never flashed any kind of no. uh, strong target rate, strong targets per out run, anything like that. And so I think the more likely scenario is that he's a perfectly capable, you know, uh, again, kind of a Tyler Higby type of dude who's going to run a lot of routes, you know, kind of a Dawson Knox type of guy, Dal uh, Dalton Schultz, like one of the many tight ends who's a perfectly capable starter, but is probably more dependent on the quality of the overall offense and not going to be able to dictate, you know, making big plays and, and actually being like a force from the tight end position as a receiver. I think the guys who can do that are it's a pretty rare group. And I'm not sure Komet is is ever going to be one of those guys. At the same time, he could be, you know, and it's and, and there's targets available. So uh, I don't hate the play at tight end 14. I, I've mixed him in, but uh, not like a super strong target for me. I do think he will exceed last year's touchdown total. Uh, do you remember what it was? Um, it's got to be pretty low. With it was it was zero. Oh um, so I think oh he will. Cole Komet will exceed last because sixty catches for six hundred and twelve yards. If he had scored like five or six touchdowns, like they probably would have made him a tight end one last year, right? Like you catch sixty balls yeah. as a tight end, you're kind of usually in that tight end one mix. But he scored zero touchdowns, and that's a big big problem. I mean, like Austin Hooper had a strong year at tight ends when he was with uh, Matt Ryan and the Falcons. Like volume can can do a lot for a tight end. And, and normally I, I personally try like trying to figure out which tight ends I think are potentially like breakouts from a talent perspective and, and go overweight those guys. But at a certain point, like the realistic options for those players are gone already because there's only so many guys that really can be that guy. So, uh, you know, I don't think commits overpriced because he does have a a strong path to a volume based low end tight end one season for sure yeah and that volume should stay there and jimmy graham i joked about it but he is gone like jimmy graham will not be there to command red zone targets for whatever reason so i, I wouldn't be surprised to see cole Kmet, even if i think you broke down the player perfectly where he's gonna be really dependent on his offensive environment but i think there'll probably be just enough volume there for him to, to i would say maybe crash the top 12 and pro maybe I would say probably crash the top 12 because that, that touchdown rate's like flukily low for a tight end. that's getting almost a hundred targets. I mean, usually that kind of target's going to get some red zone looks. So uh, yeah, I don't know why for some reason I just talked myself into Cole Komet live <laughs> on the air. Um, Darnell Mooney, you mentioned we'll close the show talking about Darnell Mooney. He's a wide receiver 28 right now on underdog. Ideally he would be the number two receiver on a good team, maybe even a number three on like a, a great team, but he's yeah. the number one on a bad team. Do you think there'll be enough volume there for him to be wide receiver 28 or will the offensive environment just be so bad that Darnell Mooney's just kind of not a value like at any price? What, what do you think about Darnell Mooney and his midsummer ADP? He does strike me as a little overpriced. Um, it seems like we're projecting volume to get him, uh, to this level and 
I just I don't want to be betting on you know a volume play on the Bears offense this year. I've talked about how bad I think it could get there, and I don't think Mooney's that good. Like I don't think Mooney's bad, but I you summed it up perfectly. Like you know, in an amazing offense, he'd probably be a number three wide receiver, and you know, again, like the defensive attention is probably going to be an issue here. Uh, I think they'll move him around the formation. You know, he's playing in the slot some last season uh like i don't think he'll just be kind of running empty deep deep routes like i do think that he will be kind of a true number one in the sense that he'll be used in on the outside on the inside on a variety of depths um and you know he'll be the first read i'm sure a ton but you know you're you're betting on him right now uh over amara st brown who's wide receiver 29 you know chris godwin's falling behind him which makes some sense because of the injury but certainly when we're thinking about who we'd rather have in the fantasy playoffs i think it's pretty easily chris godwin uh elijah moore who's got some concerns about you know maybe how many routes he's gonna run probably rather uh, Mooney than elijah moore i guess but you could talk me into that you could talk me into that but i i think you know devonta smith who like i don't know to me like i'm not sure i want him over guys like where I, I think more and Smith could be like much better than Mooney as players. And so, you know, he feels like a little overpriced to me. I think maybe more in the kind of wide receiver 33, 34 ranges where he'd start to feel a little bit better. Um, and you're getting to bet then on, you know, okay. Fields does somehow overcome it all. And you, now you have this guy's number one weapon at pretty nice discount, but there's some, there's some guys whose ceilings I like better than Darnell Mooney, but we can't let you close this pod out, Pat, without hearing from Demont Nation. Oh gosh! Well, as I was say, you talk about Darnell Mooney moving all over the uh, the formation. Uh, Velas Jones, by the way, lining up in the slot and uh, in the backfield, <laughs> oh, apparently. Yeah. So keep an eye on oh, Velas. But uh, I mean, David Montgomery. That's the final year of his rookie contract. I mean, classic. They're gonna ride him to the wheels fall off, probably. Is bad and. Bad offensive environment, really bad offensive line. But the Bears kind of strike me as one of those teams. Like every year there's one or two teams where like game script doesn't really matter. Like game flow doesn't really – they just like have no choice but to run. Do you think that's the case with DeMont? And, I mean, would you feel comfortable with DeMont as your RB2? I don't feel comfortable with DeMont ever. <laughs> I'm pretty – That's fair. I, I'm, I'm not fair. sure I've drafted him. He's the RB20 I, he, on underdog right now. Yeah, just not – no, just not interested. Do you think Khalil Herbert will like kind of eat in maybe to his his workload if, if he's not in this new brain trust long term plans, or do you think it's more likely that yeah they just give Demont it's a rebuilding year they're just trying to get the number one pick? You think they just give Demont as many touches as he can handle? I guess that's possible, but they're talking about um, changing up the run scheme a little bit, which is never a great sign for an incumbent running no. back who's purely a volume play. <laughs> They also drafted this guy, uh, Tristan Ebner, I believe in the sixth round. So like maybe that'll mean absolutely nothing. Could be a practice squad guy ultimately. But Ebner's a little bit interesting as a kind of a, a speed back pass catcher. Um, pretty efficient on, you know, somewhat small role in college. But that is a potential, you know, Naheem Hines, Tariq cohen type of guy getting added to the mix, which obviously would not be good at all for a volume-based play on a bad offense. And then I just think Khalil Herbert is good. And I'll occasionally get, um, you know, these like 
these like film based takes, even though I'm like very Whoa. much kind of a, a numbers based guy. <laughs> but like the last time I had, I felt this strongly about like, I don't care what the numbers say. I'm pretty sure this guy's good. It was Dearness Johnson. And now in my head, I'm just like, <laughs> I don't have many film takes, but when I do, I'm right. So I'm feeling good about Khalil Herbert, but I, you know, Khalil Herbert, I was drafting a, a lot of at one point, And then I was like, are you really going to be super heavy, uh, <laughs> a two down running back on a team whose offensive line you're, you're terrified of. And then who's I, also I not the starter. Oh. Who's also not the starter. Yeah. Backup. <laughs> running back. Yeah. So I, I'm not, I'm not pounding uh, Khalil Herbert anymore, but I do think like he's maybe a, a mild concern for Montgomery who uh, Montgomery's again, like he's fine. Like he's not, he's not bad, but like, you know, he breaks tackles, but he doesn't pick up a ton of yards after contact. Uh, he's just not that fast, you know, and he's okay in the passing game, but he's not like ultra dynamic. So I think you're just kind of betting on like nothing gets weird at all in the bears backfield. And then Montgomery probably pays off this price tag, but kind of anything goes wrong, um, you know, and, and they get to get a chance to see Herbert a little bit more or, you know, I just think things could devolve for David Montgomery pretty easily. They could. That's just the theme for this Bears team in general. Things could devolve pretty badly. We're like, they're like a heartbeat away from Byron Pringle being the number one wide receiver uh, or, or Velas Jones, I guess. Um <laughs> So yeah, kind I mean of Dante a, Pettis might pay might play snaps for this team. Hey, Dante Pettis didn't get a fair shake in San Francisco or oh, from the oh, Giants. Oh, Dante Pettis uh, truth there is one. <laughs> I mean Kyle Shanahan trades up for a guy you take notice, but then I should know every time Kyle Shanahan trades up for a guy, he immediately starts loathing them for some reason. Yeah, when Kyle Shanahan trades up for a guy, maybe Kyle Shanahan should take notice. Uh, I know, yeah, seriously. Trey Sermon <laughs> debacle, the Pettis, yeah. what, Joe Williams, uh, I mean, Trey Lance had, comes to mind. Trey Lance. Um, these guys yeah. are always, uh, yeah, immediately. This Bears receiver core, though, I mean, Daz Newsome, second-year breakout for the sixth-rounder, folks. You heard it here first. Um, you didn't hear that here first because he's not going to break out or maybe even catch any passes. But that's This just... does feel like a team that has to add a wide receiver, but it's also a team where we're absolutely just crushed if they do bring in, like, a Julio Jones, yes. Will Fuller. You well, you compared them to like the 2021 Lions. This is a team that's absolutely going to be making like Josh Reynolds waiver claims this year, where there's going to yeah. be total randos catching like almost even odds that someone not on the roster right now will just like lead in like week 13 targets. Like it's that kind of situation where there's just nothing set here. The brain trust clearly is not interested in 2022, and they, they whatever gets them through the seasons, all they care about, they are thinking about 2023 and beyond. So I'm going to call my shot here. Call Darius Slayton to the Bears. I would like that. Well, he's kind of Mooney-ish, isn't he, though? Um, he is a little bit, but Mooney was used a little bit more in the slot and on some more intermediate stuff. So I think Slayton would be like what Mooney was kind of as a rookie, just like pure deep threat. And then Mooney would be more of like a true wide receiver one. I would like that because Slayton, I think, is, you know, capital A, capital G, actually good. Um, he, I think he just kind of has been a victim – of like that horrible offensive environment with the Giants and maybe kind of lost his confidence. He kind of became mistake prone player. Like, I feel like he's like an actually good NFL deep threat. Um, catching passes from Justin Fields, I guess I, I would maybe approve of that. Yeah. And I, they have some connection to, I don't know if they're a wide receiver coach, but they have some connection to the Giants. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Who knows? On the coaching yeah. tree. So 
That's I think that's where I got my head going. No one they brought in Dante Pettis from his giant. Yeah, of course, of course. The Dante now they're gonna bring in Darius Slayton. <laughs> you heard it here first. Darius Slayton going to the Bears, maybe, probably, certainly. Um, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much to our guest, MLive.com's Ben Raven. Excellent stuff on the Lions. Thank you so much to Patrick Crane. This was excellent stuff on the Packers, Vikings, and the fourth team. I feel like and they escaped me. Um, even though we just talked about them for 20 minutes. Um, just really, really good stuff. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back next week uh, with, with an AFC North preview and some special guests. And I'll be back uh, tomorrow with Denny Carter and Bob Lung to discuss the upcoming Fantasy Football Expo in Canton, Ohio, which we are all attending. It's going to be like Fantasy Woodstock. It gets a little bigger every year. We love it. We have a lot of fun. Come meet Denny. Yeah, just come and like stare at Denny, basically. In he likes that, yeah. He does, yeah. We're so like, you cool with this guy? He's been staring at you for a while. Yeah. <laughs> come stare yeah, at Denny and Canton a month from now. Uh, but for Ben Raven, for Pat Crane, I'm Patrick Darty. We'll be back later this week. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's time to take your career to the next level. With over 150 graduate degree programs, the Catholic University of America, located in Washington, D.C., provides world-class academics with a student experience that educates the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. Whether your professional calling is in engineering, nursing, social work, or any of our other exceptional degree programs, encounter the best of everything that Catholic University has to offer and discover the best in yourself. Learn more today at catholic.edu forward slash gradadmissions.